Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. In the scriptures, Jesus asked several questions to his disciples as he was training them up in ministry and really preparing them for when he wasn't going to be with them any longer. In Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29, it says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, Easter may be the one time of year when the religious, the secular, and even the unbeliever consider the question of who Jesus really is. For many, it's an annual journey to either prove or disprove their understanding of Christ, or even the existence of the historical Jesus. There are more articles and television documentaries about the real Jesus or the historical Jesus than any other figure in human history. Here's a list of the top ten of the documentaries on Jesus. Number one, Did Jesus Die? That's a 2007 documentary that explores the day that Jesus died. I, the title alone makes me want to watch it, Did Jesus Die? The Last Supper is another documentary, explores the activities of this uh, famous evening and dinner. The Execution of Jesus, and that's from the History Channel. A lot of these from the History Channel or from uh, uh, Discovery Channel. The Search for Jesus, interesting. In the Footsteps of the Holy Family, In Search of Easter. So we search for Jesus, we search for Easter. Resurrection, a search for answers. Jesus, the missing history. Secrets of the cross. And I like this one, who was Jesus? So Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? And he asks us also, who do you say that I am? Notice, though, in those documentaries, how many of the titles included words like secret or searching or mystery. And I think that's interesting because the Bible tells us that it has all the answers to those questions. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, God desires to reveal himself to every person who sincerely and wholeheartedly seeks him. In the opening passage we read in Mark 8, Jesus questions his disciples before revealing his identity and his mission to them. These are the ones who were with him throughout his whole ministry. These were the ones who were seeking him wholeheartedly, even though right up until the end they still had doubts. 
they still had confusion about who Jesus really was. And Jesus would often challenge his disciples. And I think, in turn, he's challenging us. He's challenging us to think deeply about these things. Not to just have the surface understanding of who he is. By this time in history, the, the account in, in Mark, the disciples have seen many miracles and observed his dealings with the religious leaders and even heard him claim to be God. And I'm sure we would have doubts, we would have confusion about this man, Jesus. So this morning, we're going to kind of put ourselves into their sandals, so to speak, and look at it from their perspective. As we consider the meaning and importance of Resurrection Sunday, focus your answer to the quest second question that Jesus asked as we see the subtle difference between the two. So he asks two questions in verse 27. Who do men say that I am? The first question is like Jesus was taking a survey, an assessment, sort of, of people's opinion of him. It's like taking a survey of our president. And you know you're going to get a lot of different answers, a lot of different opinions about that. The first question could also be stated like this. What are people saying about me? Or in today's language, what's trending on social media about me? Remember, the, the dozens of television shows that seek to answer that question are just surface. They're not deep. The answer to who Jesus truly is has got to be based on the truth. It can't be based on the perspective of each and every person answer, because none of those answers may be true, and they'll always lead to doubt. Who men say Jesus is will not really lead us to a full understanding of him. The truth of who Jesus is can only be found in the scriptures, which is the word of God to humanity. It says in John 5:39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me, Jesus said. And then in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So knowing Jesus is the real purpose of our life. Knowing Jesus is the purpose of the scriptures. So let me set the scene here surrounding the passage today. The timing is a few months before Jesus will go to the cross, and he's teaching his disciples some very important things that they will need to know when he's no longer physically in their presence. Of course, prior to this, Jesus was performing more and more miracles in the sight of many people, and you can imagine there was quite a buzz about this man who could raise people from the dead, and heal the sick, and provide food for over 5,000 from just a meager picnic lunch. The Gospel of Mark is interesting in that it bookends chapters 8 through 10 with two separate miracles of Christ, both of which record Jesus giving sight to a blind person. And I believe that it's by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the chronology happens that way. You see, Jesus was stirring up a lot of attention at that time. 
He had many followers, but he also had many detractors and those who were threatened by him. And even his disciples, even those closest to him, didn't completely understand who he really was. In many ways, they were blind to who he really was. So it's interesting that we see these two miracles in the beginning of chapter 8 and at the end of chapter 10, where Jesus heals a blind person. Just prior to the healing of the blind man in Mark 8, Jesus actually rebukes his disciples for their lack of understanding. And I like the analogy that he says here. He says in Mark 8.18, Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? And he said to them in verse 21, How is it that you do not understand? They saw the miracles of Jesus. And they saw his large following. They saw him as a great teacher who could break the bondage of Rome. But they didn't fully comprehend his mission. And why is it that they didn't understand? Well, I think in the tone or the words that Jesus used to rebuke his disciples kind of confronts them in a way that makes us think that they weren't really applying themselves, that they weren't serious, that they weren't wholeheartedly seeking who God was. In the same sense, that may be the way we are or were at one point in our lives, that we didn't put our whole hearts into seeking who Jesus was. You know, Easter causes a lot of people to question or to consider or to seek. But how about the rest of the year? How about the rest of the time? Do we have a desire for the things of God? Do we honestly and sincerely seek Him? You know, the holiday comes and goes, and maybe for a moment people question the deeper things, but for the most part, people treat it just like any other day. A day to gather with family, maybe enjoy a good meal, maybe go to church, and then Monday morning it's usually back to business as usual. And it's that kind of indifference, it's that kind of apathy that Jesus is challenging his disciples with in the question that he asks them. Who do men say that I am, Jesus says. Do even people, do people even consider my true nature, Jesus is asking? Do they even wonder if I may actually be the Messiah, the Savior of the world? I like how Mark records the partial healing of the blind man to illustrate the disciples' partial understanding of who Jesus was, and that he will continually reveal himself to those who, by faith, seek him. The spiritual lesson in this miracle is that for those who truly seek the Lord, he will make himself known. Moving on in Mark chapter 8, it says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. So notice this. You have to, you have to really look at it. 
It's a two-part healing, isn't it? The first healing was a partial healing. So Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and he could see, but he could see only vaguely. When he saw men, they looked like trees. He couldn't really distinguish uh, detail. But then he touched him again. And he was fully restored and he saw everyone clearly. Jesus wants us to see clearly who he is. We see a pattern here of revelation by the Lord that may occur in our lives too. You know, we don't get it right away. We don't understand completely who Jesus is. It takes sincere faith and for us to seek him day by day and he will reveal himself to us. We don't grasp all that he is. We don't have the ability in our limited intellect. So Jesus reveals himself gradually, day by day. It's a walk. It's a daily thing. For those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, for those who are believers in God, you know that each and every day with him, God will reveal himself more and more. But look at the way the disciples answer the first question that Jesus, that Jesus asked. And I believe that it's for a purpose that Jesus was given an opportunity to teach them a spiritual lesson. It says in verse 28, so they answered to the question, who do men say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. But some answered, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. See, those people who thought that Jesus was John the Baptist didn't really have a very accurate understanding of him. John and Jesus actually ministered at the same time. And John pointed people to Christ. John's ministry was marked by devotion to Jesus and pointing people towards Jesus as the Messiah. And he was also Jesus' relative. If you remember the account of Mary and Elizabeth getting, to, getting together, they were both with child, and Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. And how Elizabeth's, the child inside of Elizabeth's womb jumped and leaped for joy when Mary arrived, knowing that the Savior was, was inside Mary. So they were cousins. And John's voice was that lone voice in the wilderness, a forerunner to today's preachers sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John's own coming was foretold in the prophecies of the Bible. In Isaiah 40, it says in verses 3 through 5, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, prepare thee the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This prophecy illustrates God's plan for John to be God's representative, to proclaim the coming Savior. So the people who thought John the Baptist was, was Jesus, well, I guess we could understand it because he had a great following. He was a great leader. He was 
very charismatic. He gained in popularity. And they actually were starting to think that John the Baptist was the Messiah. But notice how in Isaiah it says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. God didn't hide himself from us. He wants to reveal himself. In John's own words, in the Gospel of John, it says in, one, in verse uh, 26 and 29 of chapter 1, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was that forerunner that pointed toward Christ. He proclaimed Jesus. He took the focus off himself. You know, many preachers nowadays focus more on themselves, on building their ministry, than focusing on Jesus Christ. Jesus always has to be the focus of everything that we do. And we should always be pointing people towards Christ. And they also had a partial understanding of who Jesus was and who John the Baptist was because they read, they may have read the Old Testament. They read Malachi and they knew that God would send that forerunner to proclaim the coming Messiah. And John the Baptist seemed to fit the bill. He did proclaim a coming one who would bring a kingdom that was not of this world. He would be a strong leader. And he proclaimed the one who would set the people free. But they thought it was a political leader. They were ready to be delivered from the yoke of Rome. Who did men say that Jesus was? Well, it depends on who you ask. The crowds thought Jesus also fit the mold of Elijah. John the Baptist denied that he was Elijah, and they asked Jesus the same question. It seemed logical. Elijah was a worker of miracles, as Jesus was. He was bigger than life, and he seemed to have a direct line to God. Some also believed Jesus was a prophet, just a prophet, who told things of God and pointed people to God. But just as the blind man was partially healed at first, people had only a partial understanding of the Lord. If someone asked you this morning that question that Jesus asked his disciples, how would you answer? Would you say that, what would, who would you say that Jesus is? Would you have only a partial understanding of who Jesus is? Would you be blind to the real truth? And if so, would you seek him sincerely and wholeheartedly in order to see more clearly who he really is. In the account in Mark, Mark shows that even Peter's understanding was only partially correct. Jesus immediately begins to teach what it really meant for him to be the Christ. It says in Mark 8.31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. This description of a suffering servant was inconsistent with their preconceived notions of the Savior of the world, 
And maybe some of you struggle with that too. I know for me, in coming to faith, it was a journey. And seeing Jesus as this suffering servant might have been a stumbling block for many. After all, there's no really no other religious system in the world that has a Savior that was also killed by men. It doesn't line up with people's ideas of God. That title, Christ or Messiah, in the mind of the Jews, carried with it all sorts of expectations, which were inconsistent with the sufferings and the message of Jesus. It was hard for them to believe. It was hard for them to completely understand. The disciples that believed, some of them believed that Christ was going to be an earthly king, a conquering hero, a military leader who would kick the Romans off Jewish soil and save them from the Roman government. In Matthew's account of this same scene, we see Jesus commending Peter for answering correctly. He says, Simon Peter, it says, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I can see Peter in his boldness, in his confidence, saying, I know the answer to that question, Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him and says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter's answer was correct, but his understanding was still only partial. So again it says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly, but look what Peter does. He took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know if the birds are enjoying it or... Praise the Lord. So listen to what Peter does. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes Jesus for saying that he must die. See, Peter's understanding was only partial also. He said, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You know, our understanding of Christ has to be according to the scriptures. It has to be divine. It has to be. It can't be a man-made understanding. We need to look at the resurrection of Jesus for what it really is. It's the most significant event in human history. Not just another holiday story. Why is it important? Because our, our true understanding of Christ has our eternal destiny lying in the balance. A true understanding of Christ has our eternal destiny lying in the balance. Are we ashamed of Christ because he's not what we expect of God? Do we reject the story of the resurrection because we don't have the desire or even the intellectual honesty to seek the truth? That just means that seeking the truth may not line up with our own personal ideas, beliefs, or opinions, but it's still the truth. 
Jesus teaches us through the gospel accounts that his mission was to live a perfect, sinless life, suffer at the hands of wicked men, be crucified for crimes he did not commit, but also to rise again. Amen? Showing all people that he has power over death. So if we don't get the full picture of Jesus, we don't understand who he really is. And truth is the ultimate thing. If we're not willing to seek the truth, then really what is the purpose of our lives? Jesus challenged his followers and us to be willing to seek the truth, to deny ourselves in order to glorify him. Not for some self-motivation did Christ want the glory. Not so that he was going to see how many followers he would have on Twitter. But for the reason that he loves each and every person, and he will not be ashamed of you if you're not ashamed of him. Because it goes on in Mark 8, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me and deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my works in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. While Jesus was here on earth, there was so much confusion about who he really was. Some thought that he was a wise man or a great prophet. Others thought that he was crazy, that he was a madman. And some couldn't decide. And honestly, back then, it's no different than it is today. We have people who have all different ideas about who Jesus really is. But Jesus said in John 10:30, I and the Father are one. Many people don't understand that Jesus claimed to be God. They're content to think or even just believe what, other, what others think of Christ, that he's a great moral teacher. But I, I go to scriptures and I see that even his enemies... Even his enemies believed that he claimed to be God. It says that they tried to stone him to death for blasphemy. And eventually they had him crucified. Many of you know C.S. Lewis. He's the writer of um, many books. Probably the most popular is uh, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia series, but he was also, he also had a great bio. I want to read something that he wrote in a book called Mere Christianity, which really every Christian should read. He says, it's called actually the Lewis Trilemma. We sometimes have a partial understanding of Jesus. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. C.S. Lewis goes on, You could shut him up for a fool, you could spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. For those who don't know, C.S. Lewis had an interesting life. He grew up as a believer. He grew up in a Christian family. But he also left that faith. And he spent years as a determined atheist, trying to disprove all of those things that he was raised with. Finally, through his searching and seeking God, he finally admitted that God existed. And he knelt in prayer to become a Christian. His journey away from and back to faith came, when his, came with his mother's death from cancer when he was just a little boy. Disillusioned that God had not healed his mother, Lewis set out on a path toward full-bodied rationalization and atheism. The road back to faith was cluttered with obstacles Lewis once thought impossible to overcome. And he came to realize after his search, after his sincere seeking, that suffering and pain are not without purpose. Let's make application here. All of us experience trials. All of us experience difficulties in life. And for many of us, those things can derail our faith. For many of us, the trials that we suffer can set us on a path away from God. Even if we had a foundation, even if we were raised in the church. But suffering and pain are part of life. And they have a purpose in and of themselves. It says in Romans that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. So it doesn't matter what those sufferings are. We pray, we seek, we search, and God will continue to reveal Himself day by day by day. C.S. Lewis was determined to find the truth, and he did. He eventually found the truth of God because he was diligent, he was sincere in his seeking. Are we also? Jeremiah 29, 13, I want to remind you as I close. It says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So what comes next, folks? We go through the service on Resurrection Sunday, we enjoy a meal, we get together with family and friends. I pray that we're diligent 
to continue to seek Him, to allow Him to reveal Himself to us each and every day, so that we may have a, a better understanding, a more complete picture of the real Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.